Beautiful job, sir, as always. Take your Bibles, head to Genesis 1. As you do, let me read for you what we just sang, because I think the Lord is surely smiling on us when he hears his words sung to him so beautifully and powerfully, and when we participate together in worship. I think God must be smiling. The Lord spoke to Moses. I'm in Numbers 20. I'm in Numbers 6, 22. Numbers 6, 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. You know, God's promise continues to Israel, but it extends to those of us grafted into this vine. It extends to the Gentile who has said, Lord, we love you, and we trust you, and we believe you. And think about this, the face of God shining on you. What does it mean? Well, listen, if any of you have ever done anything and pleased your parent, pleased your father, pleased your mother, and you have seen that, multiply that and magnify that millions of times over. And when we please the Lord and put a smile on his face, when we do what he's asked us to do, his face shines upon us. One of the reasons I believe we've lost much of the shine of the face of the Lord is because we have attempted very strategically to usurp him and to put him out of the picture. I don't mean we Christians or we at Grace. I mean we people in general. Up until a few hundred years ago, it was very, very strongly affirmed, not only in Judeo-Christian culture, but in culture all over the world, that there was a creator. Some even argued for creators, plural, but there was a theistic worldview. By and large, of the seven plus billion people on the world, by the way, there's still a very, very heavy theistic uh, belief system. However, with the rise of European critical thinking, and the milieu in which a man named Charles Darwin was born, there was a strong anti-theistic bent that came into our world. And this idea was we have become so smart, so advanced, so scientific, if you will, that we can explain origins apart from theism. We don't need a God or the gods. The reality is, though, in the mid-19th century, of course, Origin of Species, as I mentioned last week, was published in 1859, received fairly quick popularity. But it's popular because when you take God out of the equation, you don't need to answer to anyone else. You become man-centered. An anthropocentric culture emerges. And out of anthropocentric systems, I would remind you, communistic systems, agnostic and atheistic systems always lead to the degradation of humanity. Prejudice will always reign in the hearts of those who truly affirm a non-theistic, fully evolutionary system. Don't believe me? Study your history and study it very carefully. Now, even men as atrocious as Adolf Hitler acclaimed to be a theist, but of course his practice in Nazism and then of course in other nations that practice and continue to practice communism, if you're paying attention to the world stage right now, they want to keep God out of the equation. When you keep God out of the equation and you truly follow conventional scientific theory of evolution, you have to put some people higher on the ladder and others lower. It will always lead you to devalue human life. It will always lead you on a slippery slope where nothing really matters, where terms, ideas, gender, as we'll get into next week, sexuality, man, Woman, it is all redefined. 
Don't believe me? Do the little challenge that's out these days. Google, can a man get pregnant? The first entry of that Google search, yes, of course men can get pregnant. We have lost our minds. And we know what's driving the companies that allow such things and filter out others. We know the agenda that is driving us to go away from plain old simple science. But here's the reality. What we have called scientific is anything but. When we study science, we find that most of us in school dealt with operational right? Operational science. We can do something with it. We can experiment. We can create a hypothesis. We can experiment with it. We can try and try and try. And then we can reach conclusions. So to operate, some call it observational science. We observe and by observing. So operational, uh, uh, to operate or to observe, right? But there is this thing called historical science. And you, I know Bill Nye, the science guy, and others would say, there's no such thing as division in science. Come on, man. I was born at night, but not last night. Of course there's historical science, meaning you weren't there at creation, nor was I. And so we have a choice. We can attempt to observe our world, but when we observe our world from a non-theistic bias, because that's what it is, we're going to come to one set of conclusions. When we observe our world from a theistic bias, yes, I use the same word, bias, that's what it is, we come to a theistic conclusion. The question is, which starting bias best aligns from historical science to observational science, to what I can see, to what I can observe, or operational science, what I can test? I'm going to argue all through this series that the word of the Lord best aligns science. It best aligns truth as we see truth. Not as we just read truth, though we must start in the reading. We don't stay in the reading. Christians have nothing to be afraid of in this field. We do not have to shirk. We do not have to play the game and become theistic evolutionists. In fact, I would argue, as I said first hour, theistic evolutionists are pretty much above all men most to be pitied. Because you're not right on either front. You're not in the land of science, nor are you in the land of Bible. Theistic evolutionists have major, major problems when their belief system is played out in reality when it comes to the scriptures. What I'm going to tell you is that there is an actual origin of species. And we're going to discover it today. Next week, again, we're going to get a little sensitive. We're going to talk about things that if you have young children and they don't want to talk about boys and girls and we don't talk about the difference between what's between our ears versus what's between our legs, if that's going to make you or them uncomfortable, I would recommend that you make sure they're part of our children's ministry, which is vibrant and wonderful this hour and the first hour. So just be careful of that. And remember that as we come into the text, we have nothing to fear, either from the historical or the observational or operational sciences. We can be honest because all truth is God's truth. And we can come to the table and we can say, okay, Lord, what did we see? And does this accord with what we now see? Does this accord with reality? And I think you'll find if you're honest, it will take far, far more faith to believe in millions of years, time, chance, matter, natural selection, survival of the fittest, any of those are evolutionary conventional terms. It will take you far more faith to buy that than simply God did it as the word of God says. That being said, stand with me as we honor the, oh, no, 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 don't stand. We gotta, we gotta say a verse, I forgot. I want you to memorize this. This is super important. Memorize Genesis 1:27. Do you already have it? You should, right? We should say it twice to make sure. Here we go. So God created man in his own image. In the, 
image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created. Oh, so there are not 57 options. Oh, I'm sorry, Facebook. Okay, next week, we're gonna get there. You ready? Do you know it now? Let's say it again. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Good, we're gonna explain and unpack that binary system that is necessary for life. Is necessary, and I, I again I understand there are a few, very, very few systems that are asexual and reproduce within, but that's not the way most of the world works, and we know it. We know both in plant kind and animal kind, it takes boys and girls, men and women. Why I, I never thought 23 years ago when I surrendered to ministry and started full time that I would preach a message to explain boys and girls, but we're gonna do that the next few weeks. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. So fact or fiction, if you say any part or piece of Genesis is fiction, you're gonna have trouble with the rest of the word of God. So I'm gonna preach it and teach it as fact, and we're gonna let the truth sit right here, and you do with it what you will. But let's read it from the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now this tells us how he did that. This is not gaps of millions of years of time. This is not some stage movement. The earth, it describes, was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Imagine a watery sphere, if you will. Then God said, let there be light. Fiat lux. God creates by a word because words are powerful, and the word of God is powerful, living, sharper than any two-edged sword. And God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light that it was good, and God divided, because as he creates, he also separates. God divided the light from the darkness. What is darkness? Absence of light. So God creates a separator. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and morning were the first day. And then God said, watch for this pattern every few verses. Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from waters. Now, friends, remember, this is a vertical separation, a vertical division. We have water below, no land yet. Water below, water above. I'll come back to that when we get to the universal flood. But we've got water above, water below. Think tropical or subtropical. Okay? And he says, uh, it's in the midst of the waters. Let it divide waters from waters. God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Now, God called the firmament heaven. That's what we look at when we see the sky. That's basically our first level. And so evening and morning were the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together. Watch. He's already made it. Now he divides. Let them be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and he called together the waters, and together the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind. We'll spend a lot of time on that. Whose seed is in itself on the earth, and it was so. The earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit. Notice it didn't say the seed that would eventually become the tree. He created it fully mature, whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And so evening and morning were the third day. And then God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from night, and let them be for signs and seasons, days and years. So God is light. 
right? Day one creation, we understand God is light. But in order that we may not worship the created, worship the sun, worship the moon, as many cultures have, God's saying you don't need them for light. Revelation says we won't need them in the end. But so that you know they're created, so that you know they bow to the creator. He says, let them be for signs and seasons, days and years, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so instantaneously. God made the two great lights, greater sun to rule the day, lesser moon, the reflector to rule the night. He made the stars also. Again, mature, light in place, not waiting billions of years or millions of light years for light to appear, but in place, in situ. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. Now, theistic evolutionists, you're going to have a major problem with the next few verses. So we've got to the fourth day. Watch what happens on the fifth day. Then God said, Let the waters abound with an abundance of living creatures and, and that connector means simultaneously, let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, not the tiny microscopic one-cell sea creatures in primordial slime that become this, that, 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 birds, wrong, not what the Bible says. The Bible says God made them fully functional and great to begin with, verse 21, and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Now watch, the first use of the word blessing in all the Bible, and God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply. That is a binary instruction. Boy, girl, man, woman, male, female. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So evening and morning were the fifth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the more I have been digging in, the more excited I've become. I'm excited because when I see this world, I see your truth on display in such majesty and splendor. I see things, Lord, not as you created them or intended them to be. I see them broken, fallen, groaning, straining. And yet there are glimpses of your glory all over this world. There are fingerprints of the divine everywhere we look. The face of the newborn, the cute little kitten, the majestic sunrise, and the glorious sunset. We see it in the oceans, we see it in the air, we see it upon the land, we see your fingerprints all around. And to think that all came from one single little cell, to think that creation, creatures had to struggle, that they had to adapt over and over billions, even trillions of time to get all that we have and to think that death reigned, death was supreme for millennia absolute nonsense. To be a theistic evolutionist, Lord, does not make you a good God. It makes you a cruel spectator. But you are a good God who is for us and not against us. And so we trust you and we realize that all of the rest of your word hinges on these opening words here in the beginning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. So guys, look, here's the simple reality of this. If you're going to deny what the Bible is taught, you're going to recreate God in your own image or you're going to discount him entirely. 
I want to go back through where we were just by way of review on your outline. We know that God's word is powerful. It's so powerful it creates. And you say, well, how does it create? Well, that's a question you'll have to take up with the Lord one day. I don't know. But there are a lot of things about stuff around me that I don't fully understand. There are a lot of systems that I can't fully unpack. Now, you can tell me words and language, and I can learn jargon. I can learn how to computer program if you teach me. But there are a lot of things about programming I've never studied, therefore I don't know. But I do know this. No computer programmer on the planet has ever made a functioning program with a couple of zeros and ones. There has to be a fully formed code, a system that's enacted to make things effectual. And the, the constant gnawing problem with evolution and conventional scientific theory, Darwinian evolution or geological evolution or any of the other evolutionary theories, which is just change over time, is all that means. The searing, obvious problem is that systems don't function in parts and pieces. And how cruel would God have to be to bang, here it is, oh, and you'll figure it out down there. Struggle adapt and morph and oh, death, 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 and death piles up in the record. It's simply not true. It's simply not in line with the heart and character of God. And so what we have to do is come honestly to the text and say God's word is powerful. God's design is purposeful, right? That's where we sort of ended, the idea that God created a functioning and mature world. Let me pick up there, if I may. Plants were created full-grown as mature adult organisms, of course they had the superficial appearance of age. If you saw a giant tree, we looking back count the rings. Observational or operational science. But if that tree were created in situ, if it was created in its place, fully formed, fruit trees for instance, with the fruit on them and seed in themselves, then it would only look a certain age. Again, God not trying to be deceptive, but the necessary way to create, to bring forth what we have today. And so you find that Adam and Eve were created, again, as adults. We'll get there next time. But the phrase, after its kind, or after their kind, is repeated ten times in this chapter. It demands that each kind would have to be created supernaturally in the beginning of its life cycle. Now, let me explain terms. I didn't do a great job with this last week, but taxonomy. We talked about it a little bit. Taxonomy in the Bible, where we would have, you know, when I was giving you those from domain to kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. Darwin's origin of species is a misnomer. Kind, as we see it in the Bible, does not also align with what we currently call species. I'm going to align it more attuned to family. More attuned to family. So just if you studied this, just so you know, I'm not trying to fully get over into that lane because I prefer to use biblical terminology to secular terminology. But still, modern taxonomy does align with this, how we study plant and animal kingdom, living things. And what we find is that according to its kind, Moses uses this word kind 30 out of the 31 times of the Old Testament. It is a mosaic used word. God spoke through Moses and said, look, things are made according to this kind, this line. We might say family. Dry land and veg, I'll come back to it. Dry land with its vegetation was formed on the third day. Vegetation is part of the ordered universe of the one true God, and there's no cyclical or seasonal myth to it. God started it once for all. God started the plants, then God started the animals. That's why the chicken had to come before the egg, right? And so when we see this, we find that biblical kind according to the family, and, and we see it in the plant kingdom, whose seed is in itself the principle of reproduction. Here's marking all of life. 
God is setting forth a providential process whereby the vegetable kingdom produces seed that maintains one's own unique characteristics. Of course, by that I mean also fruits and all of the others. But the same phrase is used to represent the reproduction of animals within their created species, or we might say today, family. This means that there is no possibility that you can mash evolution with a theistic belief. It just doesn't work if you're going to be true to Scripture. If you don't want to be true to Scripture, you're going to start cutting out pages of Genesis. You will invariably have to cut out words of Jesus because he believed it was a historical account. You'll invariably have to cut out words of Paul and other great New Testament leaders. They believed it was a historical account. You'll have to cut out much of Revelation, which is talking back to original creation and how God is restoring this to that. You're going to have to take out much of Job. You're going to have to take out so much of the Psalms, you might as well throw them out of your Bible. You cannot simply cut parts and pieces from Genesis 1 or 1 through 11, we traditionally say, chapters 1 to 11, and expect for the Bible to hold up. It just doesn't. And so what we have is this concept that each living thing reproduces after its kind, suggesting there is no evolution in the creation narrative. Yeah, you, you guys you might want to say, okay, microevolution. Forget the word evolution. It's used wrong. It's adaptation. I mentioned the um, Galapagos finches, Darwin's finches, where the beaks are said to have evolved because, because the seed was heavier, it was thicker, so the beak had to get shorter and stronger. Come on. It's called adaptation. You can see that when you breed certain kinds of dogs, right? But look what I wrote here. According to its kind is a vital recurring phrase in the creation narrative. We may breed different kinds of dogs, but we cannot breed a dog into a deer or a cat into a cow. And Darwin's finches were then and still are today finches. And you know what? If we were here a million years from now, they would still be finches. <laughs> they would look a little different. There would be, of course, adaptation and change based on weather, based on food source, but they're finches. Let me see if I I can explain with a couple of things out of my office. I have lots of heads and horns and eyeballs and things looking at us in our office. So, look, this is a shofar, a biblical shofar, and it's a little one. I have a, I have a big one in my office, a kudu shofar, which is a kudu uh, horn, but this is a ram's horn, a ram's shofar. It's used all over the Bible for communication. In fact, I had Mr. Rogers, our orchestra director, blow this for me earlier. Uh, my wife reminded me when I tried this morning in the office that these big puffy lips are not made for blowing on these things, they're made for smooching, right, baby? Um, so you didn't say that part, but you were thinking it, right? You weren't thinking it. Okay. So anyway, she's thinking it now. So what, what is this for? Why did God make the ram? We're the GCA rams, Grace Christian Academy rams. Why did God make the male ram, the males, the boys, right, have these, and they come out and curl back? I like that. Y'all see it? Everybody got it? why they do that? God made them this way because this was a mechanism when the other dudes came around. What am I going to do with this? Well, what's their name again? Ram. I'm going to ram you. I'm going to hit you. This bony protrusion is a, a fighting mechanism because guess what? He likes girls. And he's trying to reproduce according to his kind. And so this ram develops this mechanism to fight. I say develops. This ram is given by God this mechanism. I've got to be careful with that because I'm not arguing natural selection that somehow uh, this trait developed over billions of years. And I'll tell you in another moment why that's so ludicrous. Oh, look at this. Now, this is part of a turkey. 
So this would be mammalian, right? A mammal, we know that. This would be fowl. This would be a turkey. It's an eastern turkey. There are four varieties in North America. This one I took back in 13, so it's pretty old. But I've got a number of these around my office in the house. I want you to look right there at my hand. Does anybody know this, this part is the beard? Even to this day, with all of our modern scientific theories, we don't understand why male birds, sometimes females as anomalies, but why male birds grow beards. And by the length and the width, you can know their maturity. Two and a half year old, three and a half year old, et cetera. But we think maybe the longer, thicker beard is more attractive to the hen. We don't know. But God made them this way. What are these things right here? What are they called? Y'all see those really pointy things? Spurs. It's like a cowboy wears on his boots. God made a turkey with spurs on his legs. Now, I promise you, the last thing on planet Earth you want to do is make a male turkey mad. Because a male turkey will come and he will spur you. And these are not nearly as sharp as the Osceola variety. This is an eastern. But the Osceola varieties in uh, Florida, it's about the only place you can find them in the, in the United States. But this eastern, and these are about an inch and a quarter. It's a good average eastern turkey. About an inch and a quarter, inch and an eighth on one side, inch and a quarter on the other. And these spurs so that, why? Well, that gobbler swells up and he sticks his tail feathers up and he makes himself look really, really big. And maybe, I don't know, the beard's like some of you dudes trying to look cool to the ladies. I don't know why, but they have the beard. And the spurs are, if another dude comes in where he is wanting to mate, what does he do? He swells up and he will spur that guy. He will hurt him. He will take his hind legs and he will, you know, guys, we do the same thing, don't we? Pretty girl comes by, what do you do? How you doing? You know, you swell up and you eat. You know, and some of y'all attempt to grow things like this off your face and look cool. I get it, right? I get it. But the reality is how much faith, not to mention the countless other characteristics that they do not share, how much faith does it take you to buy the hogwash that this mechanism that God created for defense either evolved to this, because most would say birds, then mammals, or this became that. And this is just one tiny part of the animal. How much faith do you have to have that this thing became this thing? How much time does that take? And now here's the real whomper for you, that no evolutionary theorist has ever answered, nor will they ever be able to. Where are the stages that are missing from here to here, or any other set? Listen to me. Canine kind produces canine kind. Feline kind produces feline kind. That's why Noah had no worries about the ark. It only took a few thousand of those kinds, families we may say, to populate the earth. And you say, yeah, but think about it. If it's only been thousands, not millions of years, how could we get the variety? Folks, any of you that have bred dogs know it only takes a few generations to get insane variety. Any of you that have worked with chickens, I had somebody bring us some eggs, you know the incredible variety you can get in a few generations. But what you never, ever see is a jumping, a change of category. Yes, I know there are lots of skulls found around the world, but there is a clear delineated line between homo sapien or human skull and the primate skull. Do not buy the garbage from the natural science museums that show us, and we're raising up, and we're raising up, and ta-da, here we are. Because you'll never actually find anything in the gap, ever. Because that's not the way God created it. Yeah, 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 but, but we, we share 98% with the apes. Some of y'all share 99%. I'm going to just tell you right now. But listen, we share, of course we share so much. Of course we do. 
God used the same building blocks of life. Of course we share a lot of things, but doesn't that 2% make a difference? We're the ones looking in at the zoo, and regardless of how many times you've watched Planet of the Apes, it's always been that way, and it always will be that way. And if you believe, if you've bought hook, line, and sinker, the lie of evolutionary theory in any of its varied forms, you will invariably lead to a culture that puts some people higher on the ladder and others lower. Don't believe me? Go read the works of men like Peter Singer. Go read the works of those who are now denying personhood based upon function only. That it's not just a matter of the birth canal that makes one a person, but you've got to be able to function. Some of you with challenged children or grandchildren, according to these thinkers, they would have no right to continue to exist. This stuff matters. From the moment of actual conception between the binary parts of sperm and egg to the moment of natural death, God has said that life is made imago dei in my image, humanity. It is precious because I created it. We'll look at that more specifically next week. But these massive gaps in the record. And then you've got those in archaeology that are bringing together and those in geology and those in different fields that are bringing together all of this data. But once we add up all that Genesis 1 to 11 says, because we're not there yet. I can't answer questions we've not gotten to yet. But once we get there, I think you're going to go back and say, well, holy smokes. Of, co of course this has to be the way it is. It, it really couldn't be any other way. There's no other explanation we find that even with the sun and the moon, the greater light, the lesser light, the reflector. Why did God do it this way? Why did God make things this way? The created bodies function as light bearers and give regularity and harmony to seasons and times and slight variances of distances relative to our proximity from the sun or the moon. Slight variances mean it's all over for humankind. It's all over for all living life on this planet. This design, divine design shows us that God has us right where he wants us. God declares that the stars are created entities, not deities. In astrology, unbelievers use stars and planets for guidance. But the Bible says they merely display the handiwork of God. Psalm 19.1. According to the Genesis narrative, it's pure folly to follow astrological charts that the Babylonians worshipped or the sun that the Egyptians worshipped. Rather, we worship the one who made these objects. I think that's why the narrative is as it is. God says in the beginning, I am light. You don't need these things. But I'm going to give them to you anyway to show you, to differentiate the times and the seasons. But what we have done is we have begun to build charts and worship these things. Now look, I'm just like you. I eat at a Chinese place. I'm going to bust open a fortune cookie and I'm going to read it. But I'm not going to change my life based on what's inside. That's fairy tale stuff. Myth. And I'm not going to look to the heavens and think, oh, well, look at this. Now I'm grateful for people that study the stars. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth forth his handiwork. I'm grateful for wise men and women who the ages have studied the stars. God has used the stars to point us to things. God used a great star to point those wise men to the Lord Jesus Christ as a young child. But never in the Bible is it okay to worship the created over the creator. You know, when the Bible says, let the earth abound with an abundance of living creatures in verse 20, it implies that aquatic life and fowl appeared simultaneously. 
It denies all evolutionary sequences of life forms. Folks, it is impossible to think that from a single cell of primordial slime we emerged and the fish kind eventually sprouted legs and legs eventually sprouted wings and wings went to this and that because none of those parts and pieces is still found in its stage today. It is an utter impossibility. And another reason that Darwin and the gang were able to purport this is because they did not have the ability yet to look into a single cell. They had no conception as to how incredibly complex one single cell of a living organism, plant or animal, really is. You and I know because the Bible talks about the book of life. Science has a book of life. Science has DNA stranding and coding on four different planes you find. Billions upon billions and even trillions when you multiply cells, trillions of pieces of information. But in a single DNA sequence, what we find are all of these complex patterns. That's one dimension. Then they fold over a helix we've all seen and studied in a two dimension. Then they fold on themselves in a third dimension. Then they fold again in a fourth. And what you find is those things in and of themselves can move and change. The cells inside of certain organs can change to process the type of food you had last night. And God has created with such intimacy and such complexity that we can't even fully unpack how a single cell works, much less a multi-cell organism, and it just doesn't add up. As I used to build RC cars, I built some gas ones and some nitrous ones and some electric ones. If I put the motor in but not the wheels, we had a problem. The wheels and no motor, we again had a problem. All those things without a steering linkage, we had a problem. We all know as we create, and we only create with parts and pieces given to us by God, but as we create, as little c creators, we understand that things have to be built completely. There's no way to evolve, even with enough time, chance, matter, natural selection, survival of the fittest. There's no way to evolve. Sea creatures, according to verse 21, were greatly feared and revered by the pagans as monsters, but according to this text, God created them. He set them apart as obedient creatures, just like Jonah found out. God could use the greatest creatures of the sea. But here's the deal, guys, and I want to be careful with my language. I made Cindy uncomfortable in the first service, so i got to watch how I say this. Um, I got to go with a friend some years ago. He had a trout farm. Uh, he bred trout for a wealthy man that liked to fish the river a few times a year, and so he bred giant trout. He also sold them to bait and tackle shops and other things, but it was incredible because he said, would you like to come strip some trout with me? And I said, sure, I don't know what that is, but let's do it. Stripping trout means you take the boy and you squeeze down his side and stuff comes out for life. You take the girls, and in the same little containers, you strip them out, and many, 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 hundreds if not thousands of eggs, depending on maturation, come out, and you put them together, and what do you have a short time later? Because it's a binary system, boy stuff, girl stuff comes together, and what do we get? Baby finches. No, you get trout, man, right? Are y'all awake? Hello? We did it over and over and over, and I went day by day and week by week, and I watched, and not a single thing changed. Now, there's variety, but trout are still trout. There's never, ever been an instance where this thing jumped over to become that thing, and time doesn't change the reality that it can't. 
Things are made differently. The utter complexities of systems ensure that there has to be, and this is where academia is today. Mm, well, there, yeah, there must be some design behind this. And they're talking amongst themselves. And we as Christians should be first in line to say, we agree, there's design behind that. By the way, with design, there is intelligence and there is a designer. And by the way, we know his name and we know how it got here. Because their version of historical science, light on science, is no more accurate than what the scriptures tell us. And actually, when we observe the world taking into account functional maturity, universal flood, and age of, and, and effect of sin, when we take these into account, what we're going to find is the evidence swimming, flying, crawling all around us, not to mention ourselves, and the God-shaped void you know you have in your heart if you don't know Jesus. Not to mention that all of us long for more. We believe there's more. We as humankind believe there's more. And if you found a tribal group in the world today that had never been touched with modern society, they would not have an evolutionary theory. They would have worship. I'm not telling you they're worshiping the one true and living God. But I am telling you they were made to worship. They may worship the sun. They may worship the fish of the sea or the birds of the air, but they will worship because that's how God made mankind. So scripture completely contradicts all manner of evolution. And you theistic evolutionists, I love you, but you've got this wrong. Quit trying to play in both worlds. Quit trying to placate your so-called scientific buddies and be honest about what the evidence says. Theistic evolution obliterates the rest of scripture. God blessed the forms of marine and fowl life and commanded them to be fruitful and multiply. We'll see that next week. And I'll close with this, and it's just a couple of minutes long. God's creation is not only, God's word's not only powerful and designed purposeful, but his creation is phenomenal. When you look at the utter majesty and complexity, extraordinary, amazing, remarkable, tremendous, magnificent, awe-inspiring the more I've traveled the world and been on six of our seven continents and seen all manner of animals and landscapes and sunrises and sunsets, and the more that I have witnessed the creation that God's given us, and I've seen an infinitesimally small fraction of what's out there, but with my own eyes, I behold that this is impossible were it not for a divine mind, were it not for one beyond us. God says it's good, good, Good over and over. The word is less of an aesthetic judgment than a designation of purpose, means complete. There's a goodness to the creation that it was created complete. God saw the light that it was good. Now, the darkness was not called good. Did you notice that? God doesn't call darkness good. He calls the light good because there are lessons to be learned from the light all through the scripture and all through our life. Men love darkness rather than light, but God says, stay out of that. Light is good. The statement occurs seven times in this chapter. It is good, it's good, it's good, it's good. God's like a great artist admiring his handiwork. Creation is bearing witness to the goodness of God and God's expression of pleasure. This thing is good. You can almost see the Lord do his thing and create ex nihilo, out of nothing, fiat, by word. And you can almost see God looking down and saying, oh, I like that. I like that variety. According to its kind. And so God has this pleasure, and at the completed creation, next week we see it, God looks, and now you have humankind. God said, it's very good. 
That's very good. But then, then he makes an expression that we don't expect. Oh, that's not good. And we'll see that when we see it. God's word is powerful. His design is purposeful. His creation is phenomenal. Friends, I leave you with this. When we see the complexity and the majesty and the beauty and the splendor of creation, it should always point us back to the creator. I pray that many of our young men and women graduating from GCA would go into the scientific fields, would go into the fields of engineering, medicine. I pray that they would study well and study hard because they will see that there is such beauty and complexity in this creation. And we need voices that are of reason. Do you know that many, many, many in the scientific community actually do not fully espouse evolutionary theory? But for fear of losing job, tenure, for fear of shame in their own community, they simply will not speak. They simply feel as though they cannot speak. Some of you have shared with me that you are in an industry that does not allow you to fully express your Christian self. And I'm sorry for you. I understand in the world which we live and in the case of attempting to push God out of anything and everything, that is the current system. It's certainly coming to the fore in some of our schools. Not just university anymore. The reality is this, though, my friend. I want you to study. I want you to see the truth. I want you to admit where there's bias. I want us to come out and say, you know, I'm going to start on this foundation or this one. A non-theistic foundation is going to lead me down this path because I can't fully admit a designer. A theistic foundation is going to lead me down this path. But at the end of life, or when the tragedy strikes, or when the plane hits turbulence, I promise you, nobody is crying out to Darwin. Nobody is saying, oh, if I had just spent more time doing this experiment or that. It always comes down to relationship. It always comes down to what's next. It always comes down to there's got to be more. Because there is. And when you're honest in the quiet place, when you're honest and alone so that you can hear the still, small voice, the spirit of Almighty God, you know it is true. When you are quiet and the noise and chaos of this world settles around you, you know there's more. You're not buying these lines hook, line, and sinker. You don't believe that you're here as a product of time, chance, and matter. You don't believe you arose out of primordial slime. You know you were formed, you were fashioned, and you were made with purpose, and you know it. The pit of your soul, you know it, because God made you that way. You know, I love my kids. I love Miss Lucy, my family, my sweet wife. But as much as I love them, I didn't create them. Yeah, there were parts and pieces that came together, but God put all that stuff there. God did it. I was a vessel that he used, but God did it. And when I think about the love I have for my kids that are on loan to me from a thousand generations, all of those who will come after us, when I think about this, I think if I can love my family the way I know I do, how much more does my heavenly father love his family? And how much more does he long for them to love him back? Those of you that have had a child that does not love you in return, it may be one of life's greatest pains. Will you love your creator today? Will you worship him and trust him today? Will you continue to journey with us here at Grace through Genesis? 
as we discover the actual origin of species. Stand with me this morning. Maybe you need to come. Maybe you need to leave some things before the Lord. It could be related to this. It could be completely unrelated, but you just need to come and spend a few minutes praying or maybe with some folks. Maybe you know some skeptics and doubters that you need to have the courage to share this with. First, pray for them. Secondly, say, why don't you at least tune in? Try to bring them if they'll come. And as we go through the series, if questions do emerge, I'll attempt in the appropriate times to circle back. But remember, I'm having to teach this in such small units that we're not there yet. We're literally just starting. The next two Sundays will be a little more sensitive. I'll be very honest with you. We're going to have to talk about the binary nature of creation. Why are these verses, particularly around 27, 28, in those areas of chapter 1, why are they so critical to what's happening in our world today? where we now seem to have a non-binary system, where the only way I really know to say this in short order is this. People have now come under the assumption that what's between their ears is more accurate than what's between their legs. And that leads to dysmorphic disorders, and we can put them all in the same class and say, if we allow this delusional thinking to continue, it will be a degradation of all of human society. Not just sports. It's affecting the sports world presently. But it will degrade all human society to the point where, we, where words will not mean anything. Right now, on most social platforms, do you realize basic words don't mean anything? Through the modern leftist lens, try to define the word woman. You will not be able to define it, sweet ladies. And what is so abysmal is that all that we have fought as Christian people for, all that we as Christians believe and the equality of humankind gets obliterated in this current structure or lack thereof. We're going to hit this stuff. It's going to make a few people squirm. Listen, all I can tell you is the word of God is true. The ways of God are right. When we move off that track, we end up in delusion and we end up in destruction. Chaos is all around us. Don't believe me? Talk to a kid in school that's surrounded by this right now. Talk to a child who's struggling with this and see where their mind is going. Even some of our adults who no longer even understand who they are. Folks, it's going to be very important that we're mature about it. I'll do the very best I can to handle it with sensitivity, but you make the best decision for your family, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and this opportunity to come to share your truth. I pray, Lord, that we would absorb that, not just for the head, but for the heart. And not just for the heart, but for the hands and the feet to change the way we respond to the world around us. To remember that if parts of your word are untrue, if parts of them are simply allegorical, as many have tried to say, then how do we properly interpret the other parts? Because every historian I've ever read or heard sees the Genesis narrative as Hebraic narrative, story, truth. Nobody that studies this with any sense of depth sees this any other way. So how do we reconcile? Well, Lord, I believe that we trust that to your spirit, that your spirit bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And as children of God, we stand upon the truth. Yes, we come from a place of theism. We don't apologize for that. But I believe that takes far less faith than those who try to say we've just arrived, given enough time. Thank you, Lord, for this service. Thank you for this church. Thank you for these men and women gathered today in Jesus' name.
Amen. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.